Welcome to the podcast that is guaranteed to improve not only your photography, but your mind, body, and spirit as well. Full of interviews with the top image makers in the industry, where we talk photography, drink whiskey, and fill up the bathtub with high life and PBR. So grab a juice box, a handful of unsalted almonds, and get ready for the show. So how many of you got almonds for the well, show? Can I ask a quick question about that yeah. before we start? Did he say unsalted or unsorted? Unsalted. But it's, it's assumed they're unsorted. because how? Well, I was just like sort of disappointed because I was like, full of almonds. does Christopher Walken sort his almonds? <laughs> you think he does Why don't I sort my almonds? <laughs> In alphabetical <laughs> order from biggest to smallest. Yeah, yeah. Alpha- okay. <laughs> Say it again. I'm sorry. This that's, time, like Christopher Walken. That's why that joke fucks, David, because it doesn't make sense. It's an interruption in logical thinking. All right. Love this it. episode, we still have Seth McGruff <clears throat> McCullough as co co host. Co co. David Parrish Co-co-host. and our very own Dusty V. Dusty V. Dustin Volkema. Yeah. Dustin Val Kilmer. Sure. Yeah, Val Kilmer's his middle name. That's cool. You made his last name into Val Kilmer. Yeah. Because they sound like... You say it fast. Close. I'm a simple man. Okay. I'm a simple man. It doesn't take a lot to uh, amuse me or entertain me. No, I'm I'm totally... Yeah. I'm with you. All right, so... I'm here for uh, it. I'm here for it. I had it on volume low. Your button didn't work. The button didn't work. Now it's going to. I'm here for it. All right. Thanks, Jay. Dustin, what a week. So, yeah, it's How are you feeling? You tired? I'm feeling great, actually. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about your conversation you had with <coughs> Seth yesterday. That's a YouTube video. That was amazing. What was it like for you guys to, to have that combo? Do you remember you to, yesterday? For you to teach him Photoshop shortcuts. I remember. Do you remember yesterday? I remember yesterday. I remember yesterday. Um, <laughs> I I think it was yesterday. I feel like the days kind of all meshed together. But Does uh, it seem so far away? It does seem far away. All your troubles? Um, all the troubles are, yeah. How far do you guys want to go with this? I have no idea. At, so. least, <laughs> at least to Abbey Road. The days do blur yeah, together um, on a set like this. Yeah, so it, it was it was a really good conversation. Um, I don't know that I've actually had a, you know, pro instructor and retoucher and amazing artist go through my Photoshop files before. Um, you were freaking out. You're like, "Oh my god, no! This we can't be looking at my file." No, so, you know, <laughs> to put a little bit of, he wanted yeah. to do it in Lightroom. Remember, he wanted to be like, "Here's the three frames. Like, this is as far yeah. as you can so, go." Uh, here's the before. Here's the after. Here's, D- here's Dustin, the after. After is, it, Dustin, is this an unfiltered? Is this an unfiltered uh, podcast? Thanks for very, listening to our other podcast. It's been very honest in did. the past. So like, so yeah. when when you don't give a shit sometimes, and that's the that's the cuss word you thought no, no well that, that's that's kind of how it is. That's it. We're gonna so, get hit by the FCC now. Thanks. Yeah. yeah thanks, well, Dustin, for we, dropping we can, the S word. We can just drop Jesus. that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so, um, 
you know, th- there are definitely times where, you know, as an artist, when you're like just building a Photoshop file and, you know, you're doing certain things in teaching certain things that help get the point across and you want to make it understandable. And then when you have somebody like Seth go through the, file, the Photoshop file, it's kind of like, damn, that's a, that's going to be an interesting. It's experience. sort of like when your teacher's going through your math problems to make sure you did them yeah. in the right steps. And yeah, you're like, how I got there. Like it doesn't matter how I got there. Work. I got the right answer. <laughs> I just get Once you got to show your work and your teacher's result. going through it and you're like, crap. And then they find out that you just, you know, have a calculator that you cheated. on your phone and uh, <laughs> you cheated everything. Uh, yeah. But it, it, it was a good experience. It Man. Fun I, time. I, so that's, I mean, that's worth talking about. Cause like, I think, that that perception should be like corrected because, mm-hmm. um, especially me, you know, now mm-hmm. like my ethical position in terms of, you know, evaluating work is like, what is it that you needed to do to get that done? Did you do it in a way that worked? Did you do it in a way that shipped? And honestly, like I find out more, uh, new ideas from looking at files from from people who are not career high end t- retouchers per se, right? Right. Because I'm like, oh, that's actually really smart. Like, I would not have thought of that, and now I'm going to do that. And you know, that's kind of like a good point for a lot of the <clears throat> high end retouchers out there who sort of you know are a little dogmatic, I guess, about. Right process and the way you do things and all that that's it's great it's great i understand but there are so many different techniques suited to so many different situations at different scales and so when i was looking through your file i was like oh that was exactly appropriate for that scale and i probably in this situation wouldn't have done that differently and the way that you use the tools that you created in c4d I learned a bunch of stuff that I didn't know. And I've done this, you know, we, we talk about it. I've done it plenty of times and you were showing me ways of using your, your, your tools, you output from C4D in ways that I was like, I kind of wish I would have known some of those tricks when I was working on CG files. Yeah. So, you know, like post discussion, um, that we had yesterday, it, it was very eye opening because I would have had no idea, you know, and, and this is, when you get wrapped into a creative box and you just get used to doing your thing, how you do it, or say, you know, what an industry standard is, or once you break that industry standard, you're like, I don't have to do the same stuff the same way anymore. You know, what what was, you know, a kind of a nervous moment turned into like a great moment of like sharing perspectives and, you know, clarity on a lot of things, you know, and um it, it was definitely interesting. I know, think that fear, that fear, and I'm curious, you know, you know, for photographers too, that fear of like somebody's going to see that I kind of am not sure that I knew exactly what I was doing or not exactly sure what the most pro way was and people are looking at me like a but pro. Do you, do you think some of that is, one, first question, <laughs> Do you think some of that is because a lot of people learn from pros and so the pros are only passing on their technique? Because honestly, that's probably all they know. They've developed that over time. And, and, and like we've talked about before, they 
have kind of forgotten the whys of, of what they did. And this is just the how of what we did. So repeat after me if you want to be in my field. So do you think that's potentially some of the reason why those things start to come around is that I'm, if, you know, I mean, we should play a drinking game called if Dustin says industry, industry standard, I can't even say it, <laughs> then we drink. But uh, like, so if, yeah, you know, like if we establish something as the industry standard, that's sort of the way that it has to be done. But what happens if somebody doesn't know that standard, but they're still seeking to achieve the same results? So they're sitting there and fumbling through a bunch of different methods and potentially discovering a better vehicle to do it totally. with. Totally. For sure. Yeah. I, I really, you know, as somebody who's, who's worked in the, the 3d or the CGI industry for years, um, I think the most nerve wracking part for me was, you know, from a very high level photo retoucher, um, you know, like multifaceted coming into like the, the space that I work in in that, and you know, just strictly CGI, like there's no photo elements to it aside of, you know, the pixels of that image. And, um, you know, it was more curious. I was like nervous, but it was like, oh, just, I wonder what oh, he's totally. going to say, because there are, you know, there are industry standard. I mean, when, when people, you know, I, I see it all the time online and they're like, Oh, frequency separation. Like it's horrible. You overdo it. You do this. And that. I'm just like, well, sometimes it works. Like sometimes it works for certain applications and, and understanding the tools really any of the tools and, and how to use them and when to use them is highly beneficial. Well, I think a lot um, of uh, understanding an industry standard is also understanding its usage in the industry. So if something is destined for social media, there's probably a different level of application sure. that you need to lay on it. If something's destined for a magazine, it needs to be a certain way. If something is going to be a billboard, I mean, in, and I've shot billboards before, just to be clear. And I think that there's a lot of fudging you can do because you're never, ever going to be close to that object. It's huge, but you'll never be close to it. You'll never right. be able to pixel peep it from, from way back here on the road where so you're, you're going to be. You're basically talking about scaling workflows, basically. You're scaling your, yeah, scaling your processes because I could easily spend the amount of time that I spend on a high res consumer facing product shot. That's going to be at retail checkout and, and that face value, right? Like right here yeah, in like, somebody's face in a magazine for those that are listening, like in a magazine that I can hold and yeah, get as close as I want or to like a poster where the shoe is actually five times the size of a shoe. So you can see every molecule in it. I'm, <clears throat> not going to apply those finished techniques to something that's going to be going on on an Instagram campaign. Right. Because this is what all the brands we work with are doing now. All of these campaigns are deploying to social platforms almost with that as a priority. And so understanding I can't spend four hours on that. I need to know how to scale back all the techniques you know, is there something like that in the CG side and C4D? Do you, are you confronted with that ever? Uh, like what's final usage? De definitely, for sure. Um, and it, it's stuff that we talk about probably even more than I should um, is understanding what the expectations are, understanding client expectations and what they need. Um, 
you know, say that the, the Photoshop file you went through yesterday is definitely an example of something. If I were, say, doing this for Nike and it was a very high level, whatever type of ad, you know, like this is, I may have had to spend five times longer and really get intricate with certain things. Um, you know, treating it like it's a masthead for a website is a different issue. You know, it's a very different type of process. And, you know, though the final result and the final aesthetic can be the same, the amount of scrutiny and detail you go into as a retoucher, compositor, whatever is, you know, there's levels to it. Basically um, based on scale and all of it, relationship yeah. to the viewer. Yeah. Do you guys remember the <clears throat> camera? called the Lytro mm-hmm. when that came out. The one that did like the multiple adjustable depth it, of field. It was like a long tube. Yeah. I think it was like a Kickstarter. I don't think it ever came about. But the premise was I could take a photo of anything, whether it's an environment or a person, and then in post I could choose where the focus was. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So was it was like info. and it was like a square. It was like a rectangle like that was probably it looked like about that long, like yeah. the size of a pin maybe, but like thicker. So but you're looking through it kind of like a kaleidoscope and then when you push the button afterwards in their software you got to pick where your focal point was because it yeah. was taking so it was, multiple it, images. It was basically saying uh, why choose to shoot 2.8 when you could just shoot F twenty two and then turn it into two point eight later on, so it was just basically I, bracketing depth. Of yeah, I mean more or less. Yeah, which, which never came to fruition, and I don't know why. But that's kind of one of the things that I look at CGI with, with like with those goggles on, and I'll get to the second one after this. But how cool is it that you can create the scene and then be like, ah man, like I'm not digging F eight. Maybe it's maybe it's two point eight, yeah. or maybe it's maybe this is a F sixteen or a F twenty two. You get to make those choices. Yeah, you can pick focal points that don't. You even can make exist. you can make those choices at the speed at which you can make those choices after the fact, so you can go back in time and, and, and change. The other lens or the other way that I I think I have come to have these aha moments with CGI is. The amount of layers that you are, are renders, as, as you guys call them, that you output and create and put them in the oven, bake, all have all of these different functions for uh, highlights, shadows, white points, um, all of these different things, like the ambient occlusion layer. Like, what is the ambient occlusion layer, Gary? Uh oh, test. The ambient occlusion is kind of like this white, like clay that has the ambient light, but also how it, it interacts with how close things are together with one another, and then creates this wow. like shadow okay. based on the properties of, of the proximity. proximity. Right. Oh, so absolutely! Like, wow. Yeah. So, how cool is it to th- like create this scene and this setting? That then allows you to then manipulate and choose where you put shadow and where you put light. And that's what yeah. photographers do. Like when they approach a scene, they're like, I'm going to put light there. I'm going to put shadow there. Maybe after the fact, you're like, shit, I don't want so much shadow there. And then you're like, you you rely on your dynamic range to maybe pull that out. But maybe you don't have that camera. 
it doesn't fucking matter with CGI because you can then render those layers and be like, I'm going to bring that back out or put that back in. <coughs> so you have the ultimate choice of where you want to put things, where you want to focus, and also how big things are going to be. That was one of the biggest realizations for me when you were taking me through your file was I normally get these files just sight unseen from CG artists. And I have very limited conversations with them. You were taking me through. And I think the eye-opening part of it was that I was basically looking at luminosity masks, what photographers and retouchers would refer to as luminosity masks, because we use those extensively, but they're based on contrast. You were showing me masks that were based on distance, proximity, color, color, foreground, background, like an object's you know, maybe like a materials values, right? Right. These are the things that we would really like to have in photography because we would love a camera that did that. But right. you, you have that in C4D right now. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. C4D is really just the like a different sensor that can create <clears throat> this raw image that you have choices like un- it's unlimited it and the third thing with after my second thing would be the dynamic range of where you want to put light so it's like imagine having a sensor where you could be like uh like i've got 258 stops like to choose from like in post like right now like we're, we geek out over 12 stops it's right. like, oh i could pull out 12 stops or whatever there's no fucking limit in cgi so that, that's like the third thing of like, oh, I can pull out shit. And then also like maybe the fourth thing is, fuck, I want to like add in all these crazy fucking lighting elements to the background or to whatever I'm lighting. And <laughs> it's just like the ultimate yeah. dynamic fucking raw image. And, 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 and the, the final thing that's so cool about C4D is that your tripod is always locked and I can't walk on your set and accidentally bump it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, so that that, that was a funny point. because I mean it was you know it, it was an instance, but it your camera can be locked, <laughs> so it's not always locked. It's not locked by default, and um, you know anybody that watches my tutorials knows that you know pros kind of accidentally bump cameras too because I do it. Um, <laughs> what so do you Steph. do? What do you? And and I'm sorry, I haven't watched the tutorial yet. What do you do when you bump a virtual camera? Control shift Z. <laughs> and it just jumps right back. Undo. You and don't then, know how many times I want that in life. And then you and then you lock it. So right. you, you don't Got you it. usually only make the mistake like in one file. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely times where you know you're moving along very quickly. And we had it with, you know, oh, yeah. so the, the donut image we were compositing yesterday. Uh, oh, wasn't that a bagel? It was a bagel <laughs> slash well not not the it was a drywall. <laughs> so it was an MDF. Pastry. So, <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about the first so one. I'm talking I'm about sorry. the second I love the one. Bagel. I, lo- I mean, um, yeah, the, the, the first. The frosted bagel. The first the second one thing, you bought. 
made the of wood. The first thing was horrible. Like, I, can I get um, a budget for this, Gary? No. Oh, I'm going to buy it anyway because I don't look stupid again for the second. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly how it went. Buy my um, own donut. You know, <laughs> and it's uh, it's it's smarter, not harder, and and that's. <laughs> I will still stand by that and oh, no cheat when possible uh, yeah. as a creative. Like, don't reinvent the wheel if you don't have to. No, totally. There is no way in hell I would actually sit and make a donut when there's millions of donuts out there. So I would have one on my desk that I'm eating and I would buy the other one from one of the other. Yeah, there's like a sites. couple CG artists in the world who would high five you for spending all the extra time to make that. Yeah, but see, but the, so the, here's the thing, too. So so we can we can talk about this. Uh, you know, it. It really, it, like, the creative industry, I'll say, as a whole, kills me. And we're not just going to paint, like, any one genre, you know, in, in the box. Because it's, I see photographers do it. I see CG, 3D artists do it. Uh, painters do it. Um, audio engineers, freaking. Yeah, beat makers. Ev- everybody, We talked right? about all that, yeah. We, we get these, like, elitist or, or purist or what, how, whatever you want to call it. These, these egotistic um, beings, that believe that in order to truly create, you have to do everything from scratch. And there, there's a difference between taking pride in being able to do everything from scratch and understanding how to do it from scratch and actually wasting the time to do everything from scratch that you don't have to do from scratch, especially when you're getting paid for it. So, you know, in, in the case like yesterday, I went and I bought a donut. I mean, it, I, there is no way that I would make a donut, especially after the first corkboard one came to fruition. I wasn't compositing that one to do the same. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like this is very much how, you know, even CGI is being viewed by many in the photography industry um, because it's it, you immediately go on the defense. And it's like, well, CGI is not going to take my job. Well, I mean, it's really impeding on multiple industries. Well, CGI isn't for me because I have a studio and da 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 da. Well, you can make it more creative. Like you could be a bit more limitless. Um, you know, whatever, whatever you, you know, the, the defense is, and it's just a tool that's here. And yes, it's been in movies. It's been in, you know, TV. And most times people don't even know it, especially in broadcast many people don't even really realize that when you're watching something like Gilmore girls on Netflix, there's a lot of CGI in there. I usually am able to now pick out all the, the CGI stuff in Gilmore girls, you know, but this well. is Gilmore. No, she's like, it's not even real. Yeah. No, her left arm is actually real. Neither is Alexis oh, Bell. Everything but I mean, the left arm. I don't know. We I haven't mean, seen her in anything else. So um, she must not exist. <laughs> So that was the because this is G. This is CG. Dad jokes. I'm here all week. Uh, okay. Yeah, high five. Yeah, I think I live here. Yeah, like my fear of CG comes from, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 3D Studio Max, uh, you know, Maya, then Moto, all this stuff that seems super, super hard. Right. And, uh, I, yeah, I know how hard it is because I've watched people learn it over over years. And then to s- see this era now where we're having so much more support for bridging the gap of the hard stuff, right? Like like being able to buy your donut. <laughs> right. Being able to just go in a marketplace, 
download these models, you know? He didn't even get a dozen donuts. He just went in and got one. I, I would have got a bigger. I guess it was two. It was three, it was actually. Three. I, this was not a company budget. I mean, I'm just saying. I, all oh. I needed was one donut. I'm watching my figure, okay? They were providing you with creative constraints, I think. That's, yeah. yeah. Is it that, had is nothing to do with budget. That? It had everything to do with, let's make them sweat. And, and for those of you listening, if you haven't seen this video, there's a very well-known uh, blender guy that's like, hey, go make a donut. And it, it's a challenge. It's a call to action. So... At the end of this tutorial, <laughs> you basically sat Dustin and Jeff down. Jeff is this like master modeler in Moto, and he's currently transitioning learning Cinema 4D. So doesn't, he took his doesn't Moto. Know as, doesn't know it as well as Moto. He's been doing it for forever. And he worked with Dustin and another agency for many years. And it, they sat down, and they were sweating. They are like, what are we doing, Gary? What are we doing? Like, come on. And then, like, we pressed record and then told them, all right, you guys need to make a donut in 60 minutes or less. You model it, you perfect it. It's got to be edible. And it was a disaster. <laughs> it was it was it was a beautiful disaster. <laughs> if you've ever seen a cork donut, it, it looked I, like tree I'm bark. I'm still going with MDF. It, it was, was MDF. It may have been MDF. Yeah, but yeah. how difficult would that be to make in real life? I don't know. I'd probably use MDF. I would use MDF and some super glue. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was it, it was it was definitely it was it was a really fun experience. As much as I mean, you, you sweat in the moment, and it was an utter disaster. But that is definitely the kind of stuff that, as a professional that has been doing this stuff and creating beautiful things for a long time now, <laughs> like make a donut. Yeah, quickly, too sweet. I've, I've never sat down and been like, you know what, I'm going to make a donut. Now, yeah, I did start the blender donut, donut but that's neither here I mean, nor there. You made a toilet, and that's basically the same thing. And I made a toilet. Like, yeah, I mean, like, a beautiful toilet. We rendered a toilet for Home Depot. It was it was super dope, actually. I, yeah. I loved it. Um, <clears throat> but They both have round parts. No, no, I already Yeah, it's it. like toilet seat, donut, kind of, it sort of, you know. Um, but, yeah, just it was. just extruded. Oh, Jesus. It, it was interesting. So th there was a lot. And CG it was trip. funny because, you know, by by the time Jeff was done modeling, I had like, I think, 20 minutes or something. You had 30. You took it, 30 and you took 30. Was it 30? Yeah. Okay, that's, what I, so, that's what I can't do is blame it on the modeler. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It, so just, Jeff actually, Jeff actually killed it. Though. So same yeah, thing. Do that all yeah. The time. So, so Jeff, Jeff actually, I mean, in my Did he eyes, crush pretty hard. I feel like Jeff crushed it. Yeah. Um, Especially not for, for not knowing the program. Not knowing the program. Dude, like. You know, and got being through. super hungover. I'm no, just gonna it, throw that out you know, there. <laughs> I gotta throw that out there. Way hungover. Yeah, he didn't so, know that he was gonna be on camera that day. And the night before, to to be fair and to give Jeff all the credit, he's like, "Am I gonna be on camera tomorrow, Gary?" I was like, "No." <laughs> and we didn't know. I didn't know for sure if he would or wouldn't. But it ended up with the schedule changing, and like you know, you guys made that video, and that made some room. We didn't want to rebuild the set. There's a lot of other factors that went into it. We were like, this is the, the this we ha actually have to pivot and do this video you now. Roll with the punches. And we went, yeah, no, uh, that was the night that you got in. And he was, and, and he was so hungover that he, it's like a day later, and he it's still also hasn't recovered. Johnny doesn't stop making shots. 
Yeah. So uh, delicious. Just say anyway, no. you want to talk about back, back, back to the topic. Back so to so Jeff is Jeff is super hungover, and he he slays this model. Like it, it was for somebody that does not use Cinema 4D in that. He capacity, did make it the size of a car. I mean, there. <laughs> there was a scale issue. There was definitely a scale issue. Does David goes at one point. Is that one sprinkle? It's four five inches, inches yeah. long. Yeah, dude. Like this, this was this so was just like reading the numbers Dunkin down in the Donuts. <laughs> this is like you know, yeah. This was definitely like a, an entire restaurant like statue that you would see. Yeah, on like, top of the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. yeah this was Randy's it, it was, donut. It was a yeah. It was a right. big Randy's donut. The artistic so, brief did not include scale, so yeah, it just had to be true. edible. So. Whatever, and it, it wasn't in the end of it. So then, when Jeff gets done with this thing, and I sit down, I'm just like, you know, like you're thinking like donut icing, like okay, like that's not too bad, like sprinkles, whatever. I'll make them one color, and I'm like, I have no idea. As, as somebody who who deals with textures and materials, and you know, like the lighting setup that like could have been tweaked, but I was like, boom, like couple of seconds like that's not a big deal and then i'm like how the hell am i going to create like this donut texture knowing that i don't have the time to actually pull photo reference paint this all in unwrap the entire thing and just do it the way that i would actually do it i said i'm like i just create something that looks like bread that was and then it looked what like I was mdf ask was like <laughs> last when was the last time you like spent like a lot of time just really studying a donut you know I don't even eat donuts other I mean, than he had one in front here. of the table. It right was in a front different donut. That was a totally different. And donut. that donut didn't Only come until we were already the same way. That one would have been really hard. No, yeah, Jeff was still on. modeling when I laid the you donut down. So you had the donut for the whole time. That entire thing would have been like. I'm saying full you, on. as the material guy, had a reference in front of you the whole. Time. Okay, okay. That, okay. that would have. It was different. <laughs> What okay. what was what was Jeff's biggest like challenge with making like the model because like I think about it Not I'm like throwing up. Isn't, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. Well, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't like a donut like a like uh, what do you call it? Like a native shape, a uh, primitive. Yeah. So Ooh, so let, let, let me let, let me tell you let me tell you what the what the largest part of this was, um, and and I laugh now afterwards Other than the because. <laughs> I laugh now because I, I, I made the same mistake. All right. And, and I do this. And this is something that, that pros go through and it really everybody goes through. I see it from beginners to pros and we overthought it. Yeah. The whole fucking donut. We overthought it. And, you know, we're sitting here and Jeff's like modeling it and focused on this and that. And I'm like, oh, dude, just make like the, the, the icing drip and like whatever. And something be, maybe for me, because I knew how to use Cinema 40 a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Could have done it in a different way. But then I realized that as I was trying to explain things to him, like it was totally complicating the process. It was making like almost making it worse. And so I'm like, he knows what he's doing. So you were like ADing him. Yeah, and, and I like you were like the AD <laughs> who was like <laughs> peanut gallery. My nephew knows Photoshop really well. we'll oh, I, I was more like the uncle that does photography, at, yeah. you know, at a wedding. But um, so I, I definitely was sitting there, and I'm just like, look, you know, I had I had to step back and just you know kind of let him do his thing because I realized it was getting pretty bad. Um, and then once I you know once I got to like the material side of it, it was just like. I kind of like almost internally laughed at myself because I'm just like, you're overthinking it. And then I continued overthinking it the whole time, you know, and yeah. like when, I mean, it's a donut, but then it went to MDF and it, that's where it ended. What does MDF stand for? 
I have no idea, but I know what it looks like. David. David, you're the resident builder. You're Bob the Builder. You're the resident mental encyclopedia. Got nothing. Got nothing. I know this terminology, but I can't remember what it is. I'm pretty sure the the F is fabrication, but I can't remember, and I'm not going to lie. But you had to make those decisions right at the end. The best thing you could figure out was to use this material. So what, what I thought, what I thought was that I would just uh, try to build it procedurally, which is basically just building it without added textures and things that are just included in the software. That was stupid. Um, it was, yeah, it, it was a good and bad idea because once I got to that point, I started overthinking it more and was thinking that I actually needed far more textures than I like thought I did. Uh it was just crazy. It was like a very good, bad experience the whole time. Um, and then you finish and you just sit back and laugh. Like, you, you know, it's it was one of those things. So the second challenge was um, just to do a quick CGI donut comp, right? Oh, right, so right. Yeah, the comp. You, That's where you bought the donuts. Yeah, it was, it was Adobe stock, you know, and I was like, look, if I'm treating this like anything sort of remotely industry related or, you know, just client related in general, there's no way I'm going to use the MDF donut that I just created. And you, and you, the, the donut you chose was a PBR donut. It had everything already on it. Yeah. Yeah. Had, had the textures already. On yeah. That made it a lot easier. It made it a lot easier. And, and so where, where I changed a little bit. Um, from what my normal like industry workflow would be is I didn't dive into the actual materials. I, I, I trusted what was there and mm-hmm. I trusted my eye instead of completely overcomplicating every step of it. Um, and then I got to a point where I was, I should have maybe complicated a little bit more cause I would forget stupid things like, Oh, I didn't put a material on the other one or instead of using this little tool, I just kind of like fudged it. And what I think is, is special about those times though, is that, you know, there are times that a client will come to you and say, look, man, like I got three hours to get this thing yeah. done. Can you do it? Like I, I will pay triple your rate, but you've got a very, like, I know it's a small window, but we need this. And sometimes you can do it and you can fudge the entire project, make it happen, understanding client expectations and sometimes you deliver. just got to put together something that will ship. Well, that's why I said, I don't, I don't look at that as fudging i guess i look at it as understanding the project brief and understanding the time constraints and then saying this is the best i can do with all of the parameters you gave me right good cheap, and that's fast, right? i mean well it's, i mean yeah exactly so yeah. i mean you can have it good you can have it cheap and you can have it fast but you can only have two right so like, i think the fear that so many people have probably in both of our fields and many more like they're wondering whether their response to the client is like accurate, whether they're saying, ah, I can't do that, or I can only do this much. And the fear in the back of their mind that out there in the world, there's somebody else who would be like, I can, no, I can totally do that like way better in five minutes. There, you know what I mean? There is always someone else. And I think that's, I, I think that's something that people need to understand and it took me a long time to understand that I didn't have to be that someone else all the time. Um, yeah, and you, you know, got the confidence to be like, when I, when I say no, I know that my no is informed, 
and that there's not somebody else right around the corner who could just magically say yes and make me look like I don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, so, the, the, you know. Or, the, or could satisfy them in that time, but it would have been the same level of satisfaction that you would have given them, right? Like, I I can only, I can do this. I can't, I can't this, get none but, of that. Right, I can't get any either. <laughs> but, but saying, you know, like, basically, like, my... With the parameters you gave me, I'm going to give you maybe 50% of my overall capabilities, but I'm also realizing that in that moment, that's all I can do. Or, you know, being able, I think, I think the, the hallmark of a professional is being able to analyze your workload and be like, like, even if it's I wanted tough. to, I can't squeeze you in. Like, I, oh, I don't have that space for that it's even 50% or three hours yeah, of work. And, and, like, and that's why, yeah, and, then, and that's why I say, like, there's always that somebody else. I mean, whether you're talking just, like, straight currency conversion, like, there's, like, I, I've had clients that have gone overseas for work, and they're just like, oh, you're too expensive. I mean, even if I were to discount my prices, they're like, it's too much. And I'm like, look, it, it's not, it, you're this project's They're not your client. Do, do you think no. it's better in CGI to give you a quote based on the project or by the hour? Because uh, there's sticker shock for American prices or U.S. prices for the most part, Canadian too, probably, of like, oh, it's it. This is you per hour. Yeah, it does. But, if I, right. but if I can go overseas and be like, oh, it's that per hour, that person could take ten times as long and they could be more expensive. But yeah, so uh, there's they might run with your whole project and you'll never it, see them again. You know, like I, I have I have a baseline right now, and, and this is probably going to change. I, I've been basically trying to somewhat up my prices every year, like as I go, just incrementally, sometimes large jumps. Um, but I I do both. So you're like going you're like crypto sometimes <laughs> it's a lot it's totally like crypto yeah i guess uh sometimes, sometimes i crash it sometimes it, you know whatever you know just buy more <laughs> uh you know so it, it's really interesting because there, there are times that i do both you know if it if it makes sense to me to help it work for a client like i i can go you know and, and just do like an hourly rate if i know it's going to be cheaper than charging a day or a half day rate whatever um but there are quite a few times that i actually like to work you know, flat rate. Um, and a lot of people look down on it, but with the resources that you have, there's a lot of shit you can get done quickly. So what could go wrong with a flat rate? So a flat rate, basically you could burn yourself and, and you, you misquote kind of like Dave said, you know, you need to be able to gauge what you have on your plate and what that one project is going to take away, you know, or and is that a flat on. rate with a contract that are, Clearly articulates a back and forth rounds and the amount of rounds in the round. Yeah. So, so when you, when you go into it, you like, like I would bill for actual review rounds. So I generally, if it's a smaller project, I have like one hard review round that stays there. And the other one I call like, like flex or soft rounds that like, if they were to approve that round like one, your, your garbage mask, it's yeah, it, garbage mask. But like if they approve it after round one, and I mean, it's like deliverable approved, then it's, you're it's out good. of rounds. Like, it's yeah, like a video game. Like, like you're, you're, you're good. Like I'm yeah, not, I'm not, I'm more, not billing no you. I'm not billing no you lives. for that second round. Um, but there, there definitely are times. Like if you, if you miscalculate your workload, it's just going to be a lot of stress because now you're going to end up having to work. I wouldn't even say necessarily if you miscalculate your work and lo workload, it's not just your current workload, but it's the workload that, that that project demands. And, and do if you think you, that's the just 
physical being in the chair doing it or the back and forth communication wasting of time with all the fucking people involved? Both. So you ask when you're when you're working. So one can be dictated by a contract and change. The other one can't. Right. And so it, it just, yeah, I mean, that, that's flat rate. But there are there are a lot of times where you can get, you know, like big wins on flat rate projects. Yeah. Because you build them. And you're and, 10 times faster than the average bear. You know. Or and you they're know, paying for your experience. And yeah. the, well, yeah. right. And you, and you know how to get shit done quickly. But that comes with understanding the project. Making it, like Seth said earlier, sometimes you have to go back and forth and almost annoy the hell out of a client to actually figure out what they really need and understand how you're going to execute that. Because there are times where I've by far overcomplicated projects for a client when I could have just went and instead of paying or an outsourcing a modeler to do certain things, I could have just bought something off a freaking CG yeah. trader and it would have just been quick and finished. And I'm like, look, I ju- charge you for two weeks worth of, you know, worth of a project that I could have gotten done in like three days. But instead I went through these other processes and I used to, you know, when, before I knew better, I was getting myself in a lot of trouble early on, like very early on. It was a lot of work. Well, the fear, the fear generally seems to be that I only have two choices. I can say yes or no. And I see a lot of people do that. What's your rate? You're like, I can either say yes or no to this. And the yes is saying a rate. The no is, you know, not, I guess. But you have more choices because you have conversations with clients. And I find that, like, hands down the best thing to do is just to be straight with them and just be like, I need to understand your project more before I can really quote you anything. I mean, I feel like it's the yes, but right. So like we have yes and we have no, but then we have the yes, but like the yes, but here's the constraints that I'm going to give you for my services or just here's what's possible. Here's what's within my left and right limits. Like if you, if I go beyond this, I'm going to tank your project. So yes, I can do this. But if I do, either you're going to pay me to put other projects aside or yes, but I'm going to need X amount of time or yes, but like, and, and then once you've set those expectations, I think that's when it is less likely that people are going to experience um, dissatisfaction. So I think a lot of times uh, yeah. people tend to be dissatisfied with services when either they or the person providing the service didn't communicate what was exactly going to happen. So, totally. so one of two parties had, had some level of uncommunicated expectation. That expectation wasn't fulfilled, and so now they're butthurt, right? I find right. that often those... Uh, inquiries that come in where they just say, please submit your project proposal and rate to me. Um, (laughs) Those tend to be, and it's a varying degree of like, you know, uh, like, like inhumanness. Because some of them are like form letters, right? Where they're just, yeah, they're they're fishing. What are they called? Requests for proposal. Um, yeah, they're just fish. They're fishing, and it's almost like an open pool. I don't compete in those. I I, I right. do not waste my time doing that stuff. But sometimes they'll just ask you for a straight rate, and that can indicate that that is a client who has a, a, a like a history of just basically using sort of like 
going to the mall and buying your buying services, CG or you know, it's like sort of like the retail retouching marketplace Small. where right. it, exactly they're just like ordering a product they don't really care about you individually it's fast it's convenient they it's need to get stuff personal. done that's cool it's just not where i'm at but i know lots of people who do well serving those kind of clients it's just money. but at, but at some point i think it also to your analogy comes down to do you want to be volume or do you want to be boutique you know are you seeking to find satisfaction in your craft at the same time you're finding money. And, and I think, you know, just like if you're again, going back to this metaphor of, of a mall versus a boutique, typically at a boutique, you might pay more, but you're getting something that's more unique and individualized to you (laughs) and your style versus it's fast. It's quick. It's convenient. All the reasons why people go to malls. Right. These are a lot of the conversations that I have and conversation we were having was like, how to start thinking differently about these things, because especially when you like weren't work in house at a studio or work in house at an agency, you're kind of like one of the cogs within it. You don't have an identity sure. to your, to your brands or clients. How do you start having that individual identity to, to, to your clients, right? How do they know you? It can be tough to do because you have to communicate that. And I think, I think it's earning trust, though, too. Well, so, it's earning trust, but you first have to basically be able to step outside of the veil in front of you that's presented by, like, you as an employee. Those are great ways to get all the skills that you need by working with teams. Right. But right. once you step out of that, it can be a tricky ground to, like, navigate. Well, I mean, I, can only, I can't speak from CGI or retoucher perspective, but from photographer, I feel like a big, a big way to do that is you get this project – uh, an art director or a creative director, whoever's telling you or the client themselves are telling you what they want. And you're like, man, I'm not really in love with this idea at all, but I'll execute it. And then at the end, I would typically go around and say like, I'm going to do it my way in the last couple of minutes, 30 minutes that I have left and then present both projects. I'm here for it. Yeah. And then I present both projects, right? Yeah, and then, well, that's like and what then, Johnny was just talking right. about, putting 30 minutes at the end of a shoot to just like do some exploration. And I think Who that's knows? how you Something earn cool comes up. That's how, I think that's how you earn trust at the end. It's yeah. like when people start to see like, oh, did we just become friends? We just did become friends. Like at the end of it is like, OK, now I've proven to you, I've given I've delivered your concept and now I'm comparing and contrasting with the way I wanted to do it. And, and you, the client might very well say, thanks, I don't like your idea. Well, I think it's just one strategy and it's a good strategy, but the other, there are a bunch of them. One of them I think is like the way that you communicate, communicate and the language I have run the entire spectrum because I've been in so many different agencies. I have dealt with clients in this super clinical, very, very, very highly professional language through the emails that I write to them and getting them to sign this perfect contract all the way to kind of where I am now, where I'm just like a straight up individual human voice. And those are all the the decisions between those two are kind of difficult to map because I have, well, I have actually run into clients who said, wow, it's so nice that you actually are just like straight up. And you, you say things like, yeah, I don't really know if I can do that. Like, can I ask you some questions? Can I get you on a call? I think a lot of people are reticent to have 
that like yeah. individual voice. They want to sound more like they're like super ultra like, professional. Like the, like the studios. I mean, yeah, because the they want to sound that. like like a studio or a larger entity. And, yeah, and it's you know it's definitely something that it, it took me a while to get where I'm at in the sense of of being comfortable being just me when I'm talking to people and realizing I don't, you know, like there's projects that at times, depending on who it is that I may not even sign a contract and I would like, we'll just, we'll just go with it. No understanding the expectations. I've spent so many hours producing like, jobs, creating perfect contracts. And now I'm just like, I know this person's going to pay me. I mean, you know, and, and, and when it's there and you know, and there are times and the, the fun part about it is that it not only allows you to build trust, when you're able to talk to people just as you are and, you know, I, I believe in, I'll say overachieving. Um, you know, I, I used to really call it like under promising and overachieving, you know, on projects where like we would get the project done and then I would do that extra mile and make it look good um, in, in the way that I saw fit. And that's a good way to build trust. But the biggest difference I think is, you know, when, when you work for a larger studio, you have a, I, I don't need, it's, it's almost like, like this weight. <laughs> it's like a weight that you have on your shoulders um, because you're dealing with, with so many different stresses, you know, at large scale studios. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, for instance, it, when I worked in automotive, um, we have a studio full of like 40 modelers, you know, we'll just say like 200 artists 40 combined. modelers? Yeah, in like one room. It was kind of cool. In one I room? Mean, yeah. It was is like, like everyone like in cubicles? Kind of, sort of. What do like the modelers all, all eat for lunch? That's I have no idea. They had an entire different section of you know, space over there. So all those yeah. texture you people You segregate? Yeah. I do mean, they yeah. let the modelers like interact with you guys? They're like the coders. I mean... You know, may, may or may not have this been is like a cast system, clearly. Yeah, like <laughs> nerf, nerf, nerf war is back and forth between you know departments. There's just like nerf you know, sieges. But but it, it is interesting when you mentioned you know like being a cog, you know, because it, it definitely, like I mean, there is that pressure from all sides as you're starting to spin and all of a sudden things start happening. But the the interesting part about it is when I realized you know like that one you can say no and just not take a, a project completely. Like you, you just may not want to do it. And you know, that that's one, but when you start to really feel comfortable dictating feedback and, you know, responding to feedback and call outs and things that you weren't previously able to control or even converse about, it was just, look, this is what we're doing. A 65 page PDF full of markups like this, this is what's happening. That we need it done by Friday. Like a sad story. You know, I mean, but it is this type of stuff happens at times, you know, and there, there are times like that where, you know, I kind of remember now and I'm just like, look, you know, I'll sit and have a Zoom call with a client and be like, look, th this is this is not the best way to go about this. Here's what we can do. This is why I feel this way. And, and just start to educate the clients so that as they work with me, not only do they really trust what I'm what I'm saying and, and the overall vision and understand that I can do certain things, but there are things that they may pay me for that's not even worth their their money. It's not worth their time, you know. And I'd much rather create longevity in projects and sustainable, you know, like 
well, I think returning those, clients. I mean, I think those conversations when they're when you're talking not about like your limitations or your desires, but more about protecting your clients. So whether that's right. protecting their money or their image or anything like that resonates with them. Definitely. I mean, you might be motivated by the fact of like, I really don't want to do X in Sometimes. this, but the, but <laughs> if you present it as though you know, not necessarily this is about interest. me, but it's about yeah. you. It's yeah. about your interest. Then it just goes a lot farther. And then I think that helps establish those relationships where people are more prone to be like, I'm going to come back to you because I know you're telling me what I need to do versus what I want to do. You're being straight up. All right. I'm curious because my experience after, you know, during doing my first tutorial, did you, feel any pressure that you're sharing industry techniques that certain keepers of those techniques would not want you to share with this, you know, to the broader public no. give access to. No, I really don't care. Okay. No, well, I mean, yeah. But, and but and yeah, does that exist? Saying. Because um, are, are any of these like, you know, things that are kind of people think that their jobs rely maybe on keeping some of their techniques you know, to themselves. I, 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 I'm sure there is. You know, I, I can't say that there, there's not that, that type of atmosphere. You know, we have that in every industry, any, any creative, whatever, regardless of what it is. Um, I, I didn't really feel any pressure with, with that at all. And, you know, part of it was because – you know, I, I'm just going to do what I do. You know, I've spent a long, long enough time, like worried about the way that everybody else wanted me to do things, you know, like in the industry, like you, you have to learn this workflow specifically for this, regardless of whether or not you found a, a quicker way to go about it. Like this is how every Photoshop file needs to be done. Fuck it. <laughs> it doesn't have yeah. to be that way. And so what we do is, you know, right now at least, you know, like we'll get to some highly advanced stuff and, and a bunch of different things. Um, but I, I want to show photographers, especially photographers, because that's primarily who we're targeting at the moment, uh, that it's not so hard. And I think that's the biggest thing that like a lot of people don't want you to know, oh, Dustin's doing it wrong. He's using Photoshop. He's not you know, using linear workspace and, or, you know, color space and this and that and everything else, he's doing it wrong. Like, no, it's not. I'm getting shit done. And I'm going to show you how to learn how to do it. Use the software, work with materials, lighting, awesome. post-production, and, and, and start to serve clients. Because at the end of the day, clients aren't going to care. And they're really not going to care how it gets done. If it's, say, for a higher level client, they'll let you know what they need, understanding deliverables, and then you can start to build a process and a workflow to be able to execute that quicker. Um, I mean, we're a service industry at the end of the day. If you provide for your client and your client's happy, win. If you can do that in the shortest amount of time so you can get to making more money with somebody else, win. Like, right. I, I, I definitely have some thoughts on this. And as we've partnered with Maxon, it kind of like came more clear into perspective, right? So in looking at, and also being a part of, the photography education release to the world. I think I was there for a lot of the uncomfortable conversations that you probably got online and hate mail that you got. We were getting the same shit back in the like early days of this company of like, yeah, this is industry, you know, like 
oh, you're going to take my jobs. And you know, the common denominator in all that was like, these are the old, old the white guys <laughs> that are fucking mad and they've been doing it forever. And, you know, like with CGI, I look at that and I'm like, well, this really hasn't been around nearly as long as photography at all. Right. So now I'm looking at this community and like when I look at it now, like I, I think of uh, one of the people we sponsor, or like we're their biggest sponsor, uh, HDR Haven, Texture Haven, Model yeah, Haven, Poly Haven, Poly Haven. Yeah. We're their biggest sponsor because they give everything away for free and they do it for nothing. And the only thing they ask is like, hey, like they've they opened it up to Patreon and that that. They were my first Patreon. In the early days, we were like, yeah, we'll give you the biggest donation you're asking for because you're making models and textures and HDRs, HDRIs for free, yeah. which allows us to yeah. like continue to teach. So you guys aren't and afraid of it. So we will, like, now we're their biggest sponsor, and, like, we give them money every month just to, like, the, the thank you for yeah. doing this. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so shout out to them, and, like, shout out to everyone that's, like, making it free and, like, accessible. So awesome. Yeah, so, like, the, 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 the 3D, or we'll just uh, say CGI. I keep saying 3D and CGI. I mean the same thing. What do you like um, to say? Because you... S- I, I need to know. I, I, I need to know what I, don't I should even be saying. We'll just call it both like, ways. <laughs> Gary, yeah, it's a yeah, balance. Yeah, I go both ways. Um, Retouching or post-production? I don't know. It's the same know. thing. Oh, man, this is tough. <laughs> or compositing. I mean, what yeah, is it? You know. it's, it's all the same. You know, so the, the thing that I love most about the 3D industry compared to, say, the photography industry, right? Like, the, the photography industry is, is interesting, and this is just my experience, that, you know, there are those secrets like you talked about. There are those things that, like, I'm, I'm not... I'm not going to give you my time or I'm not going to, you know, give you the tool or, or show you how to use it. And, and then the people who do are, are highly criticized. Um, and but it, also it, highly valued by the but people highly, who love learning from them. Right. right you know, and it's in, a, it's in, a the, in the 3D bag, so. industry, it's very open in the sense that a lot of these high level artists don't give a fuck. Like they are making insane stuff, and I then like and then they're giving it away. Will literally give it away for free without yeah. Patreon, or they'll have a, a five, ten, fifteen dollar a month Patreon where you can start to download files. Yeah. Some of them are old, like client project files, and then they're also, you know, say yeah. Cineversity. You know, um, FNS is like, or like he he has this entire series where they're like. He's breaking down certain visual elements from like shorts and, and teaser trailers and all this different stuff because studios are awesome enough to give him access to the files yeah, and he it, just breaks it down. That's the word that I like heard just, you know, over the course of the past five, ten minutes said multiple times, access. It's funny that access is a central point of some of these discussions in digital work. Like access yeah. is important. Yeah, everything is political, even our digital tools. And so, yeah, when I see this change, when you talk about CG being so much more open, whereas retouching and photography really wasn't, and it is much older, so it kind of makes sense that access or limited access was an important part of but people preserving value but, and but status the, quo. The, fu- the funny thing I find about that always is, most of the time, like it goes back to the old saying, knowledge is power, right? Like I'm trying to keep my knowledge so that I can keep my power, so I can keep my pe- my position in the pecking order of the industry. But ultimately, like 
there's more jobs than any one person that that person that's at the top of the pecking order could possibly do. Their position is not threatened in any way, shape, or form. So by opening it up, you actually preserve the industry further. I honestly think that the reason photography as a field blew up is and, and imploded in the traditional sense of people taking on the educational of like, I will apprentice for you. And then from that, I will earn my own spurs to go out and do this by myself. The reason that imploded was, I think, one, cameras became more accessible and cheaper. But two, I think this, those old, mostly white guys, sorry for everybody who's offended right now. It always sorry. is. It always but, is. you know, they, they were basically trying to hold on to their position and it was fear-based for them. And, and because they became so afraid... They stopped empowering the next generation by not empowering the next generation primarily with the one thing they should learn from you, which is pricing and business practices. You, you had people who were forced to go out into the world and do it anyway and learn on their own. But in doing so, they didn't learn the one thing that they needed to learn, which was how to preserve the pricing so that the, the whole field stayed basically at the same playing level. And since those people had no idea... The one thing you were trying to avoid, which was the death of your industry, ended up coming anyway <laughs> because you didn't help people right. learn yeah. what standard pricing and and the, your fear actually made your your truth become. You're truth. talking about a scarcity model. I, I had like my uh, uh, thesis instructor in in painting uh, in at college said you could steal all. A, Van Gogh's brushes and paints and his canvases and you would never make a single painting that was like his. Right. It's that thing. It's like if you work in a scarcity model, you're gonna con- you're gonna live a, a lonely and cold life. Right. You know, if you work yeah. in a model of abundance and teaching, um, you're just gonna be happier and you're gonna support the, I mean, the at the end of the day, community. like how, how sad is it? Like if you're, if you achieved your objective and you kept all your knowledge and your power to yourself, your time on the planet is only so long yeah, period. Yeah, right. And if you die and you never share anything with anybody else, then that means that humanity is now a step further behind than it was before because you never decided to tell any other person how you do your thing. I feel like that this sucks. is one of those podcasts that we are going to uncover the secrets of the universe not really because we're already at an hour well, on on the next episode on the next, in the next episode, episode we actually uncover the secrets of the universe that's a huge incentive to stay with tuned. modeler yeah. jeff <laughs> do you want to stick around do one more yeah sure man. i do <laughs> secrets of the universe is a huge payoff i'm not in leaving. the next episode we uncover the secrets of the universe or how to build the universe or how, how to model built. it it's already built how to model it Gary, how to model it, Jeez, dude? Come on, man! Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm new all you got to do is here. like, I'm the new guy. Spheres, <laughs> buy all the nebulas and planets and stuff <laughs> off Pixel Squid. It's right yeah, there. Put man. it all together. Yeah, just like, surface them. How many right. polygons? Do you Turbo Squid. In the universe. Pixel Squid. Tur- whatever. Photoshop. I don't so know what I'm video. talking about half the time. Well, guys, thank <laughs> you for entertaining me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, and, was this uh, for you? This whole thing? Well, entertaining us. He'll listen to it here God before he goes to bed. It'll be good. Never listen to one. That was awesome. Thanks. Dustin, I'd appreciate if you could edit this podcast before you go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> you are the audio guy here. Come on. We, okay. need, to, we need to flex. Um, make you make this sound good. All right. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Dustin. Final words of wisdom from Dustin. Go. <laughs> <laughs>
Autobots roll out. Pro EDU is now unlimited. Get access to every single tutorial. Sign up at ProEDU.com today. About you, I'll take comfort in that. This podcast is officially over. See you next time. Never stop learning.